Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here. Thank you so much for joining us this evening alongside Nicole Cleggett representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I am still quite full from the Thanksgiving turkey. I cooked one this year for my little family, so it was it was good fun. Everyone got to participate. The little girl's old enough now where she could actually help out Mama, and she was super excited. You survived, and I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I know you did a wonderful job because if uh, I'm, I'm guessing all the veggies were also fresh from the uh, your garden as well. So I'm glad you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, Nicole. But we've got a wonderful program lined up for today, and I do want to get to our first guest, and that is Michael Hooker. He is with the Durham Center for Senior Life. And Nicole, uh, I know you wanted to talk to Michael because he's got something that he wants to share for uh, uh, an event coming up. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, so the Durham Center for Senior Life are awesome partners with Transitions Life Care, and we definitely wanted to give them an opportunity to talk about a very special day that probably a lot of you listening have heard about around the community. A lot of charities make a lot of noise around Giving Tuesday. And, you know, that day is so important for area nonprofit charity organizations. It's, a, it's an awesome day to give thanks to the, for the work that a lot of the charities provide in our community, whether it's, you know, for services for children and family or even the arts or our pets or our you know our green areas of our of our world um, the Durham Center for Senior Life does an awful lot of work for older adults in our community and I wanted to welcome Michael Hooker to talk a little bit about that let me start by thanking everyone at AG Matters for allowing me to speak about our special event that we have going on on Giving Tuesday and uh, we at DCSL would like to announce that Mayor Steve Shule will be proclaiming Giving Tuesday in Durham, right here at our downtown facility um, in Durham. And we would just want to invite everyone listening to join us and come be a part of history. So talk to us a little bit about this special event. I mean, you obviously attracted the attention of the mayor, which I think is pretty fabulous. I'm sure he had lots of opportunities to visit a lot of other organizations that day. What are you doing that's so special on Giving Tuesday? BCSL is an activity hub where older adults engage in a variety of social and creative endeavors. And through our main downtown site and our adult day health center and our three congregate meal sites, we impact the lives of nearly 3,000 older adults annually. And despite this, we are reaching less than 5% of Durham's population, uh, of Durham's older population. And we at DCSL believe that joining Giving Tuesday movement will gain the support needed to help us grow that number. So that is what we're doing there. We want everybody to come in and kind of, you know, help us start as we move forward and to kind of get into the community and try to um, expand our outreach to people. So this is all about, you know, raising awareness for the work that the Durham Center for Senior Life does. And hopefully that will get more people on board with actually being aware that this exists and it's a place for their um, aging family members to come and actually experience some life-giving activities and socialization. You know, I recently um, have been really doing a lot of research on the the 
the big problem with senior social isolation and the fact that a lot of older adults yeah. are truly Ill- alone. And, you know, we, we talked recently about a little event that was going on in the community where older adults receive special gifts around the holidays. And for some of these people, this is really the only interaction they will have with somebody around the holidays and really brought to my mind the fact that there are so many older adults living in our community that have really no interaction with family, perhaps they're widowed or widowers. Um, it, and, you know, they, they they really do have some health issues because of it. You know, when people are eating alone, which is why I think your congregate meals are so special, they don't really eat as well. Right. And, but when you bring people together right. and they're eating together, people tend to eat more. And nutrition is also a huge factor for people not being able to age in place as long as they may otherwise would have been able to. Yes, and I'm glad you brought up our congregate meal sites. Um, we have three of those. Um, we have our one site out at WD Hill. Um, it's in a Durham Parks Recreation Facility. Um, we also have another congregate site out in Little River um, at the Little River Senior Center. And we also have one at um, the JFK Towers. And these sites, as you were saying, they get a hot meal every day, uh, Monday through Friday. And it's served in a social setting so people can come out and, you know, socialize and, and kind of, you know, not be isolated every day, like like you, as, as you were saying, just trying to, you know, get people from in front of the TV and giving people an opportunity to, to kind of socialize and, and be healthy at the same time. Michael Hooker with the Durham Center for Senior Life. Thank you so much for coming on the program this evening. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Nicole, we have another guest that we need to get to, and that is Sherry Hilton, and she is a client service specialist with Seniors Helping Seniors. And we brought in Sherry this evening because, Nicole, uh, we we always talk about – many times about dealing with uh, caregiving journeys where we may have a loved one who's dealing with a dementia diagnosis. And uh, it's important to remember that words matter when it comes to dealing with family members or loved ones dealing with a situation like this, because, you know, from us on the outside, it may seem like something completely different, or we may just see someone as a disease, but that's mm-hmm. that's not how we should treat things. Yeah, that is so true. And one of my biggest pet peeves is that when we're working with people with any sort of issue, especially those with cognitive impairments, a lot of times people talk about that person as if they're not in the room. I mean, I know providers have a huge issue with that oftentimes, or family members, they talk about a person as if they don't exist. And my gosh, we see on the news all the time, you know, somebody wakes up from a coma, and they heard and remember everything that happened in the room, what everybody was saying. And, and so you would be surprised truly on what people pick up, with, even when you don't think that they do. And even being careful about words like, um, you know, when people are having incontinence issues, things like using the words diaper. I mean, that can be very belittling for an individual. So, so glad to have um, Sherry here with us. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you so much. So talk to us a little bit about this. I mean, what really brought you to trying to help everybody focus on the fact that words do matter? I've always been kind of a word person. Um, And what I was thinking when I was looking at your podcast and um, thinking about the topics that have been covered, that this one threads through many of them. And uh, I remember being little in the city and going down to the neighbor's house who had a big sign on her window that said invalid, well, that word means invalid. Mm -hmm. And we have gone from that to shut-in to the Medicare language of homebound, which is still sounds very one-sided. So I've just been thinking about words and then many years of teaching nurse aid training 
in the example that you gave or uh, bibs, we used to say clothing protectors. Mm -hmm. But um, words matter and how we speak about things will translate into the culture around us and how we behave. It's just a fact. And I think a lot of times people are really afraid to use the real words, too. They, they, people, I think, sometimes try to mask things or come up with softer words because they're sometimes they're not trying to use a word that we would find um, that creates a person not to have dignity, but they're using a different word because it just feels softer or maybe, you know, a little less medical, too. And there's some good reason for not using the medical uh, terminology all the time. You want to put the person first. So we used to even talk about caregivers and care receivers and the language through some of the work of uh, Alan Power and, you know, Tipa Snow. Um, the, the language has even gone beyond uh, care partner now to um, or person-centered care to person-directed care, making it more of an equal um, back and forth. My purpose is not to give people a long list today of say this, don't say that. You know, don't say um, sitter for somebody that needs companionship, uh, but to just make ourselves more intentional about thinking about how we speak about aging and dementia and ageism. Words really do matter. Well, and thinking about how that word would feel to you if you were on the other side of receiving it, right? I mean, sometimes if we can actually take a moment and try to wear that other person's moccasins and say, okay, if somebody was speaking to me and said I needed a sitter, how would that make me feel? And, you know, some families, they kind of have a very, you know, common language or, you know, some people just interact in a different kind of way. And, you know, some of these things may not bother some people, but in other situations, you know, it, it can really feel quite belittling. The, the language um, has to be, we have to have some give and take here because some people are very uh, fine with right. saying that. And that is how they want to describe themselves. Correct. Um, or even as simple, we had an aunt that lived with us with Alzheimer's. And if I said to her, um, Aunt Vina, do you want to use the bathroom? I would get the glazed over look. But if I'd said, Aunt Vina, do you want a peewee? Right. You know, she knew peewee. Well, I wouldn't go around saying that and I wouldn't let the kids do it. Right. But um, you use their language and other people self describe. We are uh, finally, you know, being more conscious in society of people determining for themselves. Um, how they want to describe. I was just talking to someone in Syracuse and the Parkinson's uh, uh, support group and the people that are journeying with Parkinson's self-describe some of them as Parkies. And I said, what? And, and Cynthia said, yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't do that, but they love, the subset of people love calling themselves that as a club. So again, you get to say what you are and to ask the right question uh, is key. It is key, and taking that next level and that next approach, it, it really makes a big difference. Well, we're going to continue our conversation with Sherry Hilton. She is a client service specialist with Seniors Helping Seniors, and we'll do that right after this. I want to remind you, if you want to be like Sherry and listen to the Aging Matters podcast, you can go online to WPTF.com, click on the podcast button, and there you can find the full archive of shows when it comes to Aging Matters. We're taking a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a Service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care here on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong. 
You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you want to find more about Transitions Life Care, you can go online to transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest in the studio is Sherry Hilton, and we're having a discussion about words that you may want to avoid when dealing with seniors or loved ones, older loved ones who are dealing with uh, a complicated diagnosis or on a caregiving journey. And Nicole, we were talking a little bit during the break about something that resonated with you in the last segment with Sherry. You were talking about the group of people with Parkinson's in this one particular area that you were in that were calling themselves the parkies. And it's mm-hmm. one thing. If you belong to a group of people who have similar issues or whatever it is, I mean, you name it, you know, I'm left-handed, so I might be part of a lefties club or something. Yes. It, it, people can call themselves what they want, but you really need to be very careful about using even the terms that they feel comfortable using within that group because if you're not part of that cohort so to speak you know that that can truly become offensive because you really don't understand sort of them trying to find the humor in what they're going to through the bless and the mess as Irma Bonbeck would say <laughs> and so you know and so people who are kind of in that group or walking in those moccasins or in the trenches with each other they do find humor dark humor in certain things they're going going through and it's, you just need to be really careful about how you approach that and know those individuals I wouldn't take a broad rush approach for sure and and the the key is to ask mm-hmm. um, I think the takeaway here is to ask how would you like to be uh, referred to or um, or just listen your one of your last podcasts was about active listening and you know taking your signals from uh, the people that you're you're tuned into and giving them your full attention and just keep educating yourself I never get tired of of thinking about um, different ways to express stuff that make the connection and build the bridges for people to communication. So I know there are certain words, and we have kind of touched on a couple of them, like diapers instead of, you know, attends or depends or uh, bibs instead of clothing protectors. But what are some of the other words that we may just be using and not really realizing how that makes the other person feel? I had my own list for years under my blotter, but um, I follow the work of the Pioneer Network, which are out to uh, affect change, culture change in, in aging. And they've been around for about 20 years. But, um, you know, calling someone a victim of whatever disease. Mm-hmm. But you just say this person has mm-hmm. or is living with. Transitions is very good about this, you know, uh, living life. Today, you know, you're, uh, you're here. Um, using um, words like, even the word, think about this one. I'm dropping mom off at adult daycare. Now, that's Medicare language. They call mm-hmm. them daycare centers. Right. But I volunteer at a place called Millbrook Enrichment Center. Mm-hmm. Now, that sounds a little better to me. Right. It is care and it is respite, but, you know, can't we just change it up a little it's bit? It's tricky. I mean, it really is tricky, though. You know, even, um, you know, when we were on the phone with Michael Hooker talking about the Durham Center for Senior Life, a lot of people out there, th- there's so much language, and people would just think about it as a senior center. So when you're trying to rebrand yes. and teach a population, the Durham Center for Senior Life is what you might have known before as a senior center. Yes. It's tricky to get people to understand that new language, too. So it's sort of a, it's sort of one of and those— you can trip over it. It's like people go, come on, we're getting so PC yeah. that, you know, can't I just call it what it is? Right. Yes, but— before you do, just think a little bit more. Right. Just think a little bit more. Wanderers, you know, how about people that just need to walk? Yeah. You know, um, thinking about people with behaviors. No, it's a person 
who is striking out. You know, you describe the behavior, not the person. One of my big feeders. Yes, that's what I was going to say, feeders. I <sighs> hate that one. When I worked in skilled nursing years ago, I, I was a social worker, and, you know, we were going around constantly making sure that people – Especially that word feeder. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, that just is so. Send me out. Or we used to have <laughs> interns that would, you know, you do the tour and they'd go, um, oh, old people are so cute. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, off you go into a little room and go, okay, starting from the get go, we're not going to use yeah. the word cute. Or the know? honey baby sweetie dolly uh, stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, feeder. How about saying, um, yeah, a person that needs assistance with their meal, well, partial the, or full assistance. With one their of meal. the tricky things with being in the South is, you know, that that great sense of respect for elders. And there was one, there, there, there is a, a very difficult thing that you need to try to teach people, uh, especially when they're working on a skilled memory care unit, um, is not to necessarily refer to the person as Mister So and So or Mrs. So and So. People do that mm-hmm. out of respect, mm-hmm. but a lot of times, as you regress back in time with dementia, you may not remember your last name. You may have had two or three last names if you'd been divorced, and you may only recognize your first name. So, you know, some of that, too, is, you know, knowing the group that you're working with. and Being what a detective. For. Yes. I love the idea of being a detective and knowing a person before their obituary. You don't want to read the obituary. And I remember this one lady who died at 105, and it said she loved Haley's Comet better the first time, you know, but who was that person? Right. And so you dig and you find out that they, you know, they like this nickname and they used to do this. And the more you find out, to me, my motto is the little things Mm -hmm. are the big things. The more you find out, the better equipped you are to know that they like to be called granny. Well. You can care plan for that. You can, you can, mm-hmm. and you know one of one of the things that I worked in training healthcare professionals about is it's actually a training called "Do You Know Who I Am?" Mm-hmm. Aside from yes, obviously, when somebody's getting admitted, you get that list of medical documentations that they have the following diseases. But the reality of it is, is nobody wants to be known by their disease. They want to be known by the things that they've enjoyed their entire lives. And you can utilize the things that they used to do, modify them, and actually give them a great experience and actually have the things that you need to do with them or for them done just so much better if you actually utilize the things that they enjoy. And, you know, one of the funny parts of the training is we often joke is, you know, how people make assumptions just by the way somebody looks. And we often and ask people, you know, okay, look at Nicole. What does she enjoy doing? Well, they immediately say, oh, she must do ballet and run. Well, I will tell you, I'm one of the most inflexible people on the face of the earth. I can't even touch my toes. So you stick me in a dancing <laughs> class, I'm going to tell you, you'll quickly see I have two left feet. So, um, yeah, my daughter's in ballet. I'm trying to kind of pass, <laughs> skip past that problem I had. <laughs> I never took dance growing up. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, really, you know, just really looking at that individual person. And I know it's so hard when you're in a communal living situation to try to be so personalized, but it is so, so important. And in the community um, as well, to just, you were talking about um, people living alone. Um, I remember doing what we would call visitation in a church setting. And again, it used to be the shut-ins. And then it was home, uh, homebound members of the church. And we changed it to home-centered with the idea of they are members of us. They just, they're at home. And then that blossomed into, so how do we keep this in a give-and-take equal relationship? So we ended up people that made phone calls and they did stuff um, that continued not just receiving, you know, whatever we brought in the sunshine basket, but giving back. And it was a very, very good experience. 
So, Sherry, you are here representing an organization that's actually able to give very personalized care for individuals, for older adults that may need some assistance at home. And that's a company called Seniors Helping Seniors. Talk a little bit about what you do there and what people could expect if they were to contact the organization. I love the concept, Seniors Helping Seniors. Uh, And there's just an instant uh, bridge there when uh, somebody older helps somebody older. Uh, I am the clinical person. I go around and uh, make sure that the clients are satisfied or we come up with um, ideas. We have a lot of people that have some cognitive loss, not everybody, um, but a a great deal of our people. So um, ideas to help make meaningful activities or pick up on some safety issues. And I'm proud to say that we now uh, can do hands-on care. And that's uh, just been added to our license and just looking so forward to that. So for folks who need it, who are listening, who have a loved one at home, perhaps you just saw them over the Thanksgiving holiday who may need some assistance with bathing or dressing or grooming or meal preparation. If they just need some companionship or transportation to appointments, this is the type of organization that you would contact and work with to provide that additional assistance for your loved one. She is Sherry Hilton, Client Services Specialist with Seniors Helping Seniors. Sherry, thank you so much for coming on the program this evening. Thank you. We've got to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your hosts, Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, this is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. I am Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, uh, you and I. Sometimes we're really on the ball. Sometimes we get things in at the last minutes. Last day of November, <laughs> but November is uh, Home Care and Hospice Month, and so we thought that would be a great reason to bring in Courtney Hodges. She's the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Association of Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. And, you know, we we procrastinated a little bit, but we got it in. We got it in for November. Well, you know, I have to say, this may be a month to acknowledge it, but every day, truly, people are using home care and hospice. Very throughout true. our state. So anytime we can shed some light onto this topic, I, I am, I, I'm very glad to. So, so glad you were able to make time in your schedule to come out here tonight, Courtney. Thank you for having me. And, you know, it may be the end of the month, but Thanksgiving and the holidays are an opportunity to reflect. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing today. Um, Home Care and Hospice Month is all about raising awareness of the options that are available to people. Um, especially around the holidays when you or a loved one is faced with a life-changing and perhaps a life-limiting illness or condition, um, it can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you can never be over-prepared for something like that. So the awareness that we want to spread is to educate yourself now. Um, We want to provide resources for the community Even though we don't directly serve um, patients and families, we provide support to providers of of, um, home care and hospice, such as Transitions Life Care, which is a member of our organization. And so we want to do all that we can to um, facilitate our agency members who are 
are providing that direct support. And tremendous support. I mean, Courtney will um, probably smack me on the side here. You could, I'm sure you'd love to see that. But, you know, Courtney runs a number of amazing conferences to really support the leadership in this state to make sure that everybody is up to date on what all the regulations are, what's coming down the pike, what are innovations, what are best practices. And really, she does a lot of work around inspiring people to keep doing what they're doing because this really is hard work. And oftentimes, you know, we know that what the families are going Going through is very difficult, but it's also very difficult for those professionals themselves to really keep that fire burning and to keep on going and doing what they're doing day in and day out because a lot of these stories and a lot of the situations that families are facing because these professionals are so good at what they do, it really you know takes a chunk out of your heart. Absolutely. And um, thank you for <laughs> that kind compliment. We do strive to provide education and resources for our provider members so that they can be up to date on the latest regulations um, that impact their services. You know, hospice, the hospice Medicare benefit, Medicare is a word in that benefit. So there are regulations um, our uh, providers have to adhere to. So um, that is top of mind when we are planning our education. What is changing? What can we anticipate that will be changing? And how can that... um, education that our providers seek um, help them provide the best quality of care to their patients. And a big part of that, and we're not going to get into the weeds in that today, but it's really making sure that hospice and home health and palliative care and home care uh, all really remain top of mind to our legislators to make sure that, you know, this work is not forgotten and this work is so incredibly important because the reality of it is no one's getting out of here alive in this in this world. There's right. been no person who's lived indefinitely. And so Absolutely. we need to make sure that, you know, end-of-life care is truly protected. Oh, definitely. And that's another aspect of Home Care and Hospice Month. We encourage providers to invite legislators on home visits mm-hmm. because it is very rare now, I mean, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, you could approach a legislator who had no idea what you were talking about mm-hmm. when you mentioned home health or hospice. But now um, it's reached such a prevalence um, that usually you can walk into a legislator's office and they they know of what you speak. And so we encourage our providers to invite them on home visit because nothing really drives that home. And the benefits that that experience can provide a patient and their family other than seeing it for yourself. So I know that Governor Roy Cooper did something pretty special this month. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yes, and so November is National Home Care and Hospice Month, Um, but um, for the last, I don't know how many years, we have really um, sought the governor's proclamation to make it Home Care and Hospice Month in North Carolina, and so we're grateful that Governor Roy Cooper did, in fact, make November 2019 Home Care and Hospice Month. Congratulations on that. That's pretty special. Thank you. Yes, for sure. Very excited. So I know that right now, you know, family members have just seen loved ones that maybe they haven't seen in a good long while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're listening to the show and they're thinking, okay, there was a change in mom. Talk to us a little bit about what the difference between home care and hospice is. Absolutely. Um, so... It, we use the term home care pretty loosely um, <laughs> yes. in the industry. and it can be confusing. <laughs> <laughs> and it can confuse people. Um, home care is a broad term to describe care provided in the home, but home care can also be used to describe a specific line of care. Um, there's also home health, mm-hmm. and there's also hospice. Yes. There are other types, but we're, we'll focus Stick on those buckets. three <laughs> major buckets. Yeah. Yes. So home care 
um, refers to primarily services provided by an in-home aide. Mm -hmm. And that can be providing assistance with activities of daily living, such as eating, bathing, dressing, mobility, and toileting. So that's more of the custodial care. So that's more of the we just need to maintain you at your current level and it's you know really something that's ongoing right no in, no in in sight per se and it's, it's not, not paid for by medicare correct it's not covered by medicare it's covered by medicaid and some long-term care insurances and otherwise it's um, paid for out of pocket which is a huge surprise to yes. family members i mean a lot it of times people have the assumption that their blue cross and blue shield not picking on them but no <laughs> private insurer is going to be paying for that people make the assumption that medicare pays for that and and then there there's quite the sticker shock when mm-hmm. oh my gosh mm-hmm. mom needs like 12 hours a day of care mm-hmm. and i have to pay for that Yes, and it's it, going to cost how much? Yes. All the more reason to do your research up front. Mm-hmm. And if your loved one has had a long-term care policy in place for 20 years, you need to make sure that that language has been updated to reflect in-home care services because technology has advanced, equipment has advanced. So, so much more care can be provided in the home yes. than could be provided 20 or so years ago. That is an excellent point. So for those of you listening who were, you know, were just with mom and dad, or maybe you're still in town, if your loved one does have a long-term care policy and it was written 20, 25, 30 years ago, chances are it's known as a nursing home policy. Right. That's not the normal common language because that's really what was prevalent then. Mm-hmm. You were mm-hmm. home or you were in a nursing home. Times have changed, as Courtney has said. So a lot of times these policies are willing to pay for in-home care because a little bit of in-home care goes a long way and is a lot less expensive. (laughs) Yes, it saves money. So just because it says for nursing home care doesn't mean that that's the end-all, be-all, black and white rule. Exactly. But it always is advisable (laughs) to call and check because insurance companies, you know, like like most um, regulated entities love black and white language Mm -hmm. um, and there's very little room for gray area so Mm -hmm. just make sure you get it in writing that that is a benefit included in your policy. So let's talk a little bit about home health. Okay so home health um, is different. Um, It is more episodic. Mm -hmm. It is physician ordered. Um, It is for an acute condition or a worsening condition Um, and home health is covered by Medicare Um, and it is Um, for people to have services provided by a nurse, a therapist of some sort. So that can include all of the the following, physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, and then some aid services are provided as well. Very minimal, though. Very minimal, yes. So so what this is for, you know, it's really all about helping that person regain their ability to where they were pre whatever the incident was, pre the hip fracture, pre the knee replacement, pre the wound, Mm -hmm. pre the fall, just pre the general, you know, just slowing down and breaking down. If they really feel like they can restore that person, then that's when those services are provided. But what people need to remember with this type of services is once the healthcare professionals really feel like that person has met their maximum, it may not be back where they used to be. They may not be running to the grocery store every single day of the week or going to visit family the way they were. But once they reach a level where they're not making any more gains, that is when that service typically stops, correct? Right. And home health is all about goals. Right. So, you know, the goal may be for you to um, be able to get up from the chair Mm -hmm. with relative ease. Right. Um, You know, that sort of thing for you to be able to feed yourself again. So once those goals are met, yes, um, home health withdraws its service. 
She is Courtney Hodges. She is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Association of Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. And we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, and we have Courtney Hodges in the studio. She is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. And Nicole, we've brought in Courtney because November is National Home Care and Hospice Month. And so we have uh, shed a little light on home care and a little light on home health. But I really wanted to spend some time really helping people understand what exactly hospice is and what it is not. Yes, and there, you know, providers are even considering taking the word hospice out of their company names nowadays because they don't want the misconceptions that have been developed about hospice to um, to scare people off for lack of a better term yeah it is it you know the end of anything especially the end of life is is a scary concept Mm -hmm. um but what i want people to take away from this conversation during um, november which is hospice and palliative care and home care month is that hospice is a holistic interdisciplinary person-centered benefit provided by medicare and other insurances that lets the patient live their best life um, right until the end and that's what the kids are saying these days (laughs) live your best life um and and it really is such a benefit to the family too you know we're entering the holiday season thanksgiving kicked it off and you know the holidays can be a, a time of grief for people who have lost loved ones especially for people who are um dealing with a sudden diagnosis of a life-limiting illness, mm-hmm. and um, togetherness and being together with family is a time to talk about um, the options that are available to you. So hospice is, like I said, a holistic benefit. With the hospice benefit, you get an interdisciplinary team consisting of nurses, a chaplain, uh, a social worker, an in-home aide, and... Volunteers. Volunteers. I mean, the volunteers are invaluable. In yes. fact, if you are looking for a way to give back or to help um, promote the benefit of hospice, sign up to volunteer at your local hospice. Yeah. That is a great way to give back. And I know people sometimes are like, well, I don't know if I want to be around dying people, but you don't... Th- there's th- indirect volunteering. There's a lot of different <laughs> kinds of volunteering that these organizations need for sure. That's right. Um, and so it, what, the, what hospice allows you to do is and it serves the patient wherever they are. Mm-hmm. It can serve you in the home if you're in a facility. Um, it goes to wherever you are, and it lets the family focus on time with the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different levels of care in hospice. So as you progress through through the disease and you start to need more and more care, um, more care can be provided and more support services especially bereavement services. Mm-hmm. There is grieving during 
yes. um, the dying process and after. And yes. so hospice offers bereavement services to family members a year or more mm-hmm. after uh, the patient has passed. There are support groups. There are um, community events. Hospice and home health and home care, but particularly hospice, are partners in care. And they are ingrained in their local communities. And there are definitely ways to um, to go and learn more at their local community events, visit their website. We have a directory of providers on our website that we're happy to share. Um, and just educate yourself about about the benefits um, and, and what you can expect. So I know there's a lot of misnomers out there about hospice. And one of the ones that I run into frequently, you know, you have family units, right? And I swear there is no such thing. I've never seen a functional family yet, no. mine included. <laughs> so not, Lots not, of not, not picking on the listeners, <laughs> but yes, there are a lot of dynamics in all of our families. And so you'll have a camp of family members that are all about hospice, and then you'll have a camp of family members, not so much. And the ones that aren't often have the belief that hospice is giving up or it's hastening death. Right. And it, it is so not about that. Um, in fact, some people uh, sustain life longer once they get their symptoms under control when they once they get the pain under control sometimes they live a little longer than it than originally expected just because they have that support and that relief and that comfort and you know they have that time with their family they can just sort of reflect on their lives and spend time doing what matters most and that's uh, uh, being with their family and a lot of times too I mean obviously after the person passes away one of the most common things we hear from families at least at Transitions Life Care is that they wish they would have started hospice sooner absolutely it's so many mm-hmm. people use it for, for whatever reason it is it's mm-hmm. the last few weeks of, uh, into of life and there is so much more that could be done with that benefit of the last six months of life and there's a lot of things that we all still need to work around and this is another issue we have with um, families that we speak to regularly is they know that their loved one is not well they have a sense a gut sense that their loved one's probably not going to live for the next year but they have a hard time getting the doctors to recognize that and to say let's put them on hospice Mm -hmm. how can a family kind of work around some of those conversations even with their providers because this is a, a a benefit that needs to be referred sure I think a really good resource for families is their local hospice. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the professionals who are used to dealing with clinicians. They have medical directors on board, mm-hmm. um, and they are always willing to provide information um, and, and education to the community. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just one of the pillars of hospice is to really provide those tools to clinicians, the community at large, um, to make the best decisions for their family. So. That's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of times, too, people have this image of, well, I put my mom on hospice. Now she's going to be in a hospital bed in her house 24-7 until she dies. Oh, yeah. That is not. That is not the picture of hospice. No. And we talk, sometimes we talk about home health having a homebound criteria. That's a bad word. It's not bed bound. (laughs) It's homebound. Um, and, And it just means that you can't leave the house without some level of difficulty. Hospice does not have a homebound criteria. And a perfect example of that is someone with pancreatic cancer who um, two, two months out of, outside of dying, he's up and walking, mm-hmm. he's, he's flying to Arizona to, to see his daughter get mm-hmm. married, um, and then let's say six weeks later, things drastically change. Right. Um, and so, you know, there is no 
limitation of the life you can live while you still have life to live. Right, mm -hmm. right. And, and you see that often. There's often wishes that are granted for mm -hmm. people in hospice uh -huh. care and, and things of that nature. Another misnomer that I've run into a lot is that people assume that hospice is a place. And I know at, you know, for example, at Transitions Life Care, there's the hospice mm -hmm. home. Mm -hmm. So people think, well, I'll get my mom on hospice and then she'll move into your hospice home. Mm -hmm. and, and people don't realize that that's not really the intention of the hospice home. At least in our case, the intention of our hospice home is really to help that person get their symptoms under control if it's an uncontrollable symptom situation and then get them back to wherever they call home. Absolutely. Yeah, hospice is not a place. And, um, and another misconception is that people think hospice is all the same. Like we're yes. all the same. It's just like every other business. <laughs> yeah. There is a core level of support that that's needs to right. be provided. But yes. But I think that's that can work to our benefit because at least people know what we do but um but yeah hospice is is a service it's a care it's it's a, a way of living right until the end definitely so what else should we know well i would encourage everyone like i said to um do their research on the on the care that's available to them if you're in a hospital talk to your social worker or case manager about possible home health or hospice services mm -hmm. coming out um, NHPCO, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, has a great facts and figures um, page that they do every year just on statistics about hospice. And please visit our directory at ahhcnc.org and click on the Locate a Provider tab to see all the, the providers in North Carolina. That website is ahhcnc.org. Org. Courtney Hodges, Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Association for Home and Hospice Care of North Carolina. Thank you so much for coming in this evening. Thank you for having me. We are out of time for this evening, but we'd like to encourage you, if you want to hear any portions that you may have missed of this episode or past episodes of Aging Matters, head on over to WPTF.com, click on the podcast button, and there you'll find Aging Matters. You can view this most recent episode as well as all the other episodes that we've done. It's a wonderful resource for those who may be having a loved one who's going on a caregiving journey again, head over to WPTF.com, click on the podcast button, and go to the Aging Matters section. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I am Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care, on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.